We have Matthew 21 marked. We have Romans chapter 2 marked. And we have 1 Peter chapter 2 marked. Somebody say, yes, we do. Okay, good. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we uh, want to be people that honor you and glorify you with every aspect of our lives. Therefore, Lord, we do not complain. Father, we know that in this world, Paul wrote to the Philippians, that we are, are to do everything without grumbling and complaining so that we can shine as lights in a dark world. Lord, our world is full of those that are unhappy, discontented, and complaint-filled. Lord, but we recognize that you are sovereign, and you are perfect, and you are good, and that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Lord, so despite our difficulties this morning, we realize those are petty and minor. And I pray that you would help us to keep our focus completely on you. And that you would be lifted up and that you, despite these things, would, by the Spirit, draw people to yourself. So, Lord, grab our minds. Arrest our attention. Open our hearts to hear uh, what you have, Lord. I pray that we would not be distracted by, by the heat or any of these other things. Father, I pray that your word would be, would be water to us, Lord, would be life to us, would be breath to us this morning, Lord. We thank you for giving us this day our daily bread. And we pray that you would open our eyes so that we could see wondrous things from your word because we know they're in there. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. All right. Are we ready? Matthew 21 is where we are. We have been in what is commonly known as the Passion Week from the time of the uh, triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, to the time of the crucifixion and the uh, resurrection. Uh, This is the week we are in, in the Scripture here, in, in the Bible, They welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem uh, with shouts of praise and hosanna from Psalm 118. Uh, But the leaders, the religious leaders, the leaders of the nation have not uh, had that same feeling and sentiment toward him. And they will influence the people by Good Friday Friday, uh, against Jesus as well. Uh, Interestingly, Jesus, you know, he overturns the the tables in the temple, the the money changers, uh, he, he... this continues to confront those that have been the shepherds of Israel about their need to repent, their need to change. And, and that has challenged them. And the more he confronts them, the harder their hearts get. And today's lesson will deal with that as Jesus continues to more and more, really his desire is the same desire God has for you even today. I mean, maybe you're someone who is just so stubborn and, and the person next to you is going, uh-huh, they are. Yeah, yeah, that person next to me, yes, yeah, stubborn. Maybe you're stubborn and, stubborn and just, when, when someone comes to try to tell you, look, friend, husband, wife, daughter, father, mother, you need to change. You're, you're, you just need to change. Something needs to happen. Things can't go on this way. And the more someone tells you that, the madder you get at them for telling you you need to change. 
We've all been there, right? We don't like to hear we need to change because we're perfect. We all know it about ourselves. Nobody else is perfect, but I am. I've got it all figured out, right? And each of us says that about ourselves. So there's this ego thing, this pride thing that says, I'm doing okay. Just leave me alone. I don't want to have to change. And if that's you, and it is many of us, then you will find yourself in the passage today because that was the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And his desire is for them to change, to surrender and accept him and receive him. But they wouldn't. The more he spoke to them, the more he challenged them, the more they did what? They rejected him. They rejected him. And so we'll see what happens. So he continues to teach in parables. We're going to talk about first in verse 33 is where we'll pick up. A parable, uh, you could call it the parable of the wicked vine dressers. Uh, you'll, we'll see what that means as we go through. Verse 33, this is Jesus speaking. He says, hear another parable. He'd already told them uh, a parable just previously to this. And so this is another parable building on the same idea. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time or harvest time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took servants, took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then, last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? So we'll stop there. We won't read the answer. Uh, I wanted to read the whole parable so you kind of get a sense of what's going on. The first person, we meet a a number of people in this parable, but first, just to to recall, what is a parable? A parable is just simply an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. So as we read about vineyards and vine dressers and servants and and fruit, and all this stuff, it's a picture, it's a word picture, it's a story that they would be quite familiar with, but the meaning of it goes beyond what you read right there. The things are symbolic of a different truth that Jesus is trying to teach them. And we work, we we teach that way with our kids. If you can get, uh, if he can get them to understand it and agree with it in, in the natural earthly realm, then they'll understand, or at least in theory, what he's saying to them spiritually. So in the parable, in the story, the first person we meet is a certain landowner who planted a vineyard. So who do you think the landowner is? Be God. God is the land. In this parable, God is represented by this landowner. He owns the land. He owns it all, as a matter of fact. He's the landowner. And he planted a vineyard. Who do you think the vineyard is? symbolically in the Bible oftentimes, and you can again read Isaiah 5, Israel is spoken of as a vineyard. And who gave birth to the nation of Israel? God did. So he planted this vineyard, which is Israel, and he protected it. He set a hedge around it. He dug a wine press in it, a place where the the fruit would be uh, crushed and they could enjoy the, the fruit of that vineyard. 
And he built a tower to watch out for uh, people coming to try to steal from the vineyard and those types of things. So the, the vineyard owner, the landowner, did everything possible to protect and make sure that there was good fruit from the vineyard. But as was common, uh, the, the landowners often didn't live where the land was, where the vineyard was, lived somewhere else so they would lease it to people that would care for it. So who do you think the uh, vine dressers are that this, this vineyard was leased to? Can you, can you guess on that one? you have an idea? This would have been the religious and spiritual and national leaders for the nation. This would have been who we've come to know as the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Uh, in the Old Testament, it would have been the kings, those that were in charge Look, when, when God wants his people to be taken care of, you know, look, even in the church, God has appointed pastors, elders to oversee, to care for the flock that was bought with the blood of his son, with the blood of Christ. You aren't my sheep. You know, Moses appreciated that. Moses, you know, Moses knew that feeling leading the Israelites. You know, oh God, you know, these people, they're troublesome. You know, I'm glad I'm not in charge of them. And you are God's people first and foremost. And God has, gives the leadership both in the church and in his nation. He wants people that have the heart of shepherds who care for the sheep and not fleece the flock. You can read in Ezekiel how God condemned the leaders at that time because they were fleecing the flock rather than caring for the flock. And so these vine dressers are meant to, care, to prune, to fertilize, to water, to care for the vineyard. That's their job. So that the, they will be able to then share the fruit. So what happens? This is It's least. He goes to a far country. Now verse 34 says, When vintage time drew near, he, the landowner, sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. So the deal was, they didn't pay rent per se, but when it was time for the harvest, the vine dressers would give a portion of the fruit to the landowner as rent. So it was quite common for the, the landowner would send his servants. Who do you think the servants are in this parable? The prophets. The people that spoke. They, they're representing the landowner. They're coming on his behalf as ambassadors to collect the fruit, the rent. They're, they're coming to gather the rent. Now, that's a normal thing to expect, right? I mean, that's a, a normal relationship. That was accepted. It was expected. But then something unthinkable happens. Something very distressing happens. He sends the the servants to receive the fruit in verse 35 says and the vine dressers took his servants beat one killed one and stoned another now wait a second what would you do if they were your servants what would you do if this was your vineyard i bet you'd be getting pretty up wait what do you mean to tell me he they killed my servants i'd be like let me at them you know let me who do they think they are what do they think they're doing but our God is a very patient God, isn't he? He's so long-suffering. He sends messengers to you. And you know, look, you may be sitting there, and, and I don't know how you got here today. Many of you I've seen before. I mean, I know you drove here probably. Uh, but you know, maybe I am one. Maybe today is one in the string of many people that have told you about Jesus. And person after person has shared with you, you know, you met someone at work and you found out they're a Christian. They've been telling you about this Jesus in this church they go to. And then you met somebody else at the gym. And, and they, oh, they're a Christian too. And, and God keeps sending people your way 
And you keep blowing it off, blowing it off. God is so long-suffering. He's so patient that the first time you reject him, he doesn't smash you or crush you. <laughs> That's not his nature. He is long-suffering. He has a very long fuse. And so even after the first group of prophets, messengers to Israel, the first servants are killed and beaten. And by the way, Isaiah sawn in two with a wooden saw. That hurts. I've never had it happen to me, but I'm assuming that hurts. And we can read, in, in, I'll just read this briefly to you. In Second Chronicles, we read about a prophet named Zechariah. It says, therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. And they testified against them, but they would not listen. And so ultimately, um, this message is given by Zechariah. Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Good question, isn't it? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. What did Zechariah the prophet do wrong? What was his sin? What was his problem? He simply called the people to return to God. And for that, he got stoned. And so, you see, Jesus is teaching this parable for a very specific reason. He's saying, look, leaders of Israel, look, people today, God has continued to send messengers to you, to woo you. To, to talk to you, to reason with you, to share with you, because He wants you to be saved. And they have continued to reject Him. So they sends the, sends the first crop, they beat Him, kill Him, stone Him. Uh, verse 36, again He sent other servants, more than the first. He continued to try to, to uh, be patient with them. And the same thing happened. Now verse 37. Then last of all, He sent His Son to them. Saying, they will respect My Son. That was what was in His heart. That was He was saying that to Himself. Hey, they've killed and stoned all of My servants that went. But now, surely if I send My Son, they'll respect Him. But, verse 38, again, another tragic turn. But when the vine dressers saw the Son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Who do you think the son of the landowner is? It's Jesus. Clearly, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that that's who's being spoken of. So they conspired with themselves and they said, hey, you know, let's, this is the heir. If we kill him, we can have the vineyard to ourselves. So you see, greed is behind this. They wanted... They had begun to feel entitled with what belonged to God. You ever done that in your life? You ever think the house you live in is yours? The car you drive? The children you have? You think, wow, these are my kids. This is my thing. These are the Lord's. You know, the Bible says, honor the Lord with the first of your possessions. Because ultimately, they're all His. It's all His. And the proof of that is, when you die, as, as is said in the Bible, naked you came in, and how are you going out? Naked. Nothing going out. It belongs to the Lord. So the son comes, uh, they seize him in the parable. So this hasn't happened yet in time. This is what's going to happen. But watch this. This is a special kind of parable. 
And you'll see why in a minute. It's not just your normal everyday parable. I like these parables because I need these parables. And I'll show you why. So they take him in the, in the parable. They cast him out, verse 39 of the vineyard, and they kill the landowner's son. Therefore, the question is asked, when the owner of the vineyard comes, and look, someday the owner's coming. Someday the owner is coming. God himself will deal with mankind. And so the owner is going to come and deal with these guys. Matter of fact, in just a few years from now, from, from then, uh, Jerusalem will be destroyed. It says, the, when the owner comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Now, what do you say to What should he do to those vine dressers? Should he let them, should he overlook it? Should he let them keep the vineyard for themselves? Is that what you would do? I mean, we would have smoked those guys a long time ago. We would have fired them. Said, man, we need to fire these cats and get some new vine dressers in here that respect me. That respect our relationship. That know that it's my vineyard. Well, so he asked the question to these religious leaders. Now look at their answer. They said to him, verse 41, he will destroy those wicked men miserably. And it's a play on words. He will destroy the miserable men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. That's what they say. Those words are not in red in my Bible. Those words are in black. That means that was the answer. They knew exactly what should be done. And you know what they've just done? They've just pronounced judgment on who? Themselves. And that's why this is what I call a judicial parable. Sometimes we see things in other people that are part of who we are. And we don't like them when we see them in other people. And when we acknowledge that we hate when they do that, or we do, man, we don't like it when they do that, and we do the same thing, we're acknowledging that it's wrong, and we don't like it in ourselves either. But sometimes it's so hard to see ourselves, isn't it? And it's not until you see that, that character trait in your children, you go, honey, do I do that? I mean, am I like that? And she says, uh-huh, that, he's his father's son, you betcha. And, in, and then there's conviction, Hopefully. Now, I've asked you to mark Romans 2. I want you to go there with me. Romans 2. You've already got it marked. Let's turn there. See, it's not just recognizing and acknowledging sin that makes a person righteous. Look at Romans chapter 2. And just a quick background. In Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul is bringing the whole world uh, under the, the guilt of everybody's guilty. Like, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because there are some people that are just so good at spotting sin that you would think, well, they must be righteous because they're so good at recognizing and acknowledging sin. The problem isn't what you acknowledge or recognize. The problem is how you live. And so sometimes people are good at pointing out sin in other people's lives. But then they do the very same thing themselves that they condemn others for, right? And I'll, I'll give you an example of that in a minute. Let's just read Romans 2, uh, the first verse... Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. That's what these people just did, right, in Matthew 21. They condemned this vine dresser, the vine dressers in the parable, and they condemned themselves. It says, whatever you do, and you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. And then drop down to verse 3. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? He says, hey, let's just talk about this for a second. 
you guys are able to see and acknowledge you know, when, you, when someone lies to you, don't you hate that? I mean, don't you? Have you ever been lied to? You ever get scammed? Or, or a, an email thing? Or so you buy something or you do this false advertising and you, get, you fall for it? And you go, oh man, I just got taken. Or someone says they're going to do some work for you and they lie to you. We hate that. Then why do you lie yourself? Now look, we, and, and I'll... In the church, we have this problem, and it's a, it's a, it can be a real issue. And, and uh, some of you are very familiar with this. We have people that come into church, and, and you've gone through something hard. You've gone through something, and nobody knew you were going through it. You, know, you, were, you were sick, or something happened, and, and we'd, I didn't know. Nobody knew. And then what you say is, I'm mad at the people at Calvary Chapel, that pastor. You know, they, Nobody called me when I was sick. And so you acknowledge that it's good and it's right for someone to, to get a phone call that you think that's good when, when they're not feeling well, they haven't been in church in a couple weeks. But then the question is, who have you called who's been sick? You see, because in saying, people should call me when I'm sick, is saying that you believe that's right, so when you don't do it, you're condemning yourself. Or maybe you say, everybody in church should listen to my ideas because my ideas are always right. But whose ideas have you listened to? When's the last time you yielded? Because you think everybody should yield to you. So you're acknowledging that it's good for people to yield. So then the question is, who do you yield to? Do you see? I mean, I'm, I know this is, uh, you know, you're curling your toes right now. And some of you know better than to not wear steel-toed shoes when you come here. Because yeah, this is the reality, folks. And this is why I love these judicial parables. It's the same thing David and Nathan went through when Nathan gave the parable to David. Some of you may know that story. And, and David said, that man deserves to die. And Nathan said, David, you're the man. And that wasn't like in the good sense, you're the man. You know, no, that was bad. It was bad. You're that man. So that person you've condemned, those, that church you've had difficulty with, you've got to check yourself and make sure that in condemning for what you've condemned, that you're not guilty of the same thing yourself. And are we together on that? So they've just pronounced judgment on themselves. So God goes, okay, you just decided your own judgment. And he will. He will take that, the nation from these leaders and, and give it to, to other vine dressers. We'll talk about that in a minute. So verse 42, back to Matthew 21. Verse 42. Are we all together still? You guys awake? Good, good. Well, I was only like three of you were awake. Yes, are we awake? We good, Okay. Verse 42, so they, they pronounced the judgment. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? And, and when Jesus says that, it's because they had read the scriptures through and through. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now he's quoting, Jesus now quoting Psalm 118, the same Psalm the crowds were quoting when Jesus came into Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord. Later on in that psalm, you read this, this verse right here, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now who's he applying that to? Who are the builders? The vine dressers, the builders, are the religious leaders of the nation. And so here's the thing. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And to, if you're a builder, if you're a mason, and you're building a stone wall. You're going to select through. You've got a whole pile of rocks. You know, they're all piled up. And as you're building your wall, you're selecting stone by stone which stone is going to fit best in the wall. 
And, and so you look at one stone, you go, nah, you throw that aside. Nah, oh, oh yeah, this one will fit. And you plop that in there. You see, those other ones didn't fit. So you discarded them. And that's what they saw when they looked at Jesus. He just didn't fit, so they rejected him. Now, interestingly, the stone which the builders rejected, when Jesus was crucified, we were at the site, Gordon's Calvary in Israel. And I don't know, the folks that were in Israel, I don't know if you remember what they taught us there, that Jesus wasn't crucified on a hill far, far away. He was crucified outside the city, in plain view of people, not on a hill, but right by a major intersection. It's like if, if Jesus was crucified right there by two J's at 53 and 15. Right on the corner there. Everybody passing by would have seen. And you know what that spot was? That spot was the quarry where they quarried stones for Solomon's temple. And that is where the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself, was rejected. Right there at the quarry he was crucified which is fascinating to me. Absolutely fascinating. But notice this. Well, actually, I, I have a couple other examples because here's, here's one of the things I want you guys to know that what God chooses, man refuses. What God chooses, man refuses. Albert Einstein, his name synonymous with intelligence, wisdom, and knowledge. He's been turned into a myth. The unreachable mind of the 20th century, if not all time. And yet this same man was rejected entrance into university, had trouble concentrating on basic math, and was seen as a troublemaker during the early years of his life. How about another one? Thomas Edison, at the age of six, started a fire which destroyed the family barn. For this, he was whipped publicly by his father after advance notice to the community. The schoolmaster thought Edison was stupid and intractable. And in 1906, Thomas Edison's father gave him 50 bucks to stop using the family name. Thomas, I'll give you 50 bucks if nobody knows who you are. Rejected by his father. But a brilliant man after all. Elvis was kicked out of the Grand Old Opry in 1954. They told him to stick to his job, day job driving trucks. Uh, Gone with the Wind, Margaret Mitchell's novel, was rejected by 38 publishers before it finally got published. Lucille Ball got sent home from acting school in New York because the teachers thought she was too shy and would never make it as an actress. Monopoly almost never made it. Parker Brothers rejected the idea because it was too complex. Later on, it became the best-selling board game. One man at a yard sale found two boxes of glass negatives. And someone was ditching them at a yard sale. That's trash. I'll sell it. Maybe someone else will want it. <clears throat> These two boxes of glass negatives he bought for 45 bucks, But they seemed interesting to him, maybe special, so he took them to an appraiser. Turns out this box of glass negatives were part of an early Ansel Adams collection worth $200 million. One more. While on her morning walk in Manhattan's Upper West Side in 2003, Elizabeth Gibson noticed a colorful painting in the trash on the street. She didn't know anything about art but decided to take it home and spent several days trying to find out more about the painting. Finally, in 2007... She found out the painting was actually a lost masterpiece uh, by Rufino Tamayo, a renowned Mexican artist. The painting was eventually sold for one million at auction, which Gibson received an unknown percentage. Uh, one man's trash, another man's treasure. Jesus was rejected. He was trash to these religious leaders. 
But to you and I, he's treasure. Uh, you can read this, this verse, this same verse here impacted the Apostle Peter tremendously. In Acts chapter 4, you see Peter use this verse about the stone that Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected during one of his early sermons. And, and I had you mark 2 Peter. Let's go there. No, excuse me. I had you mark 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's make one more stop. And we're almost, uh, we're, we're coming to a close. I won't say we're there yet, but we're coming there. 1 Peter chapter 2. The first verse says, Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That's, one, that's a sermon in and of itself. Like a newborn baby, Peter says. Just because you're born again, and you've got to desire the milk of, of the word of God so you can grow. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious... Now, verse 4, coming to Him. To who? To Jesus. Coming to church is wonderful, but coming to church without coming to Jesus is a loss. Coming to, folks, coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. See, what, what God chooses, man refuses. Chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Somebody say amen. amen. To you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient or disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And, and maybe that's, that's the way it is for some of you in here. Again, You've been rejecting Christ. You just you, you can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense to you logically. Uh, you've heard some arguments. You've been on atheist websites because God is working on your heart and you're trying to refute this thing because you know that it will cost you. You know that it'll be a sacrifice. You'll have to give up some things in your life. Things that only hurt you anyway. You'll have to give up bitterness. You'll have to give up holding that grudge. You'll have to give up that addiction. And God will be with you in those things. So you've been rejecting, you've been rejecting this stone. Ah, Jesus, I don't even believe. I can't understand, so I don't. You, you guys, he's a crutch, right? I know you Christians, he's a crutch, and that's fine for you, for you weak folks, but not me. I don't need a crutch, you know. Where's my bottle? I don't need a crutch, you know. Where's my medication? I don't need a crutch. To those of us, Jesus is precious. He's our hospital. He's our wheelchair. He, he's our physician. He's the ambulance. He's the medic. He's the recovery unit. He's our health. He's our wholeness. He's our sufficiency. The stone that the builders rejected. Now, back to Matthew 21. This is how God planned it. This was the Lord's doing. God does it that way. He chooses to use things that the world rejects so that wise people go, duh, we can't figure this church thing out. How's there a horseshoer preaching the gospel on Sunday mornings? How does that happen? How, do, how does the Lord use you? 
Because, hey, if, you, if you're sitting there and you say, you know, people have, re- my parents rejected me, my friends rejected me, praise the Lord, because God accepts you. Not only that, God will use you. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Amen to that. God just doesn't use the Bill Gateses and the Steve Jobses and the people that the world runs after. He uses the nobodies and the weak and the foolish to confound the wise. Therefore, verse 30, 43 says, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Uh, people argue about who that is. My best guess is it's the apostles and the church. That's who now uh, cares for uh, the kingdom, spreads the gospel, gives the Lord the fruit, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, bearing the fruit of it. And what is the fruit? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What's the fruit that God was looking for? The fruit of repentance. The fruit of people turning over their lives to God. Now, verse 44, and uh, this is last note of application And then we'll bring this to a close. Verse 44. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. You ever drop a stone on your foot? Like a big heavy thing? A rock or something? That hurts. And this is, Jesus is referring to Daniel chapter 2. I won't make you go there. Write it in your margin. Daniel chapter 2. Uh, you can look that up later. It has to do with the a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Uh, and and I'll, I'll leave that for you to look up on your own just for time's sake. But I will tell you this. If you circle the word broken, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. You can circle that and write in your margin, shattered. Shattered. You ever drop a glass on the tile floor and psh, it just explodes and goes everywhere and you spend the next two weeks trying not to step on pieces of glass because you didn't, You find all the shards that broke off. Whoever falls on this stone will be shattered. And the word falls on speaks of falls on to worship. I think of the woman in Luke chapter 7 who was the notorious sinner who fell at his feet in tears with that oil, the ointment, to rub on his feet and and with her tears and, and wipe his feet with her hair. She fell on the stone, broken, shattered. Look, This is the first step to healing. Is being broken before the Lord. It happened to me 17, 18 years ago. Just broken before the Lord. Shattered. And when you fall on Him, He does. He shatters everything you thought about the world. He shatters everything you thought about yourself. He shatters everything you thought about life, death, and eternity. He shatters everything that you thought about purpose in life. It's it's like shattered. But I thought I was going to grow old doing this job. And I thought I, thought I was going to do this. And I thought this is what my life was going to be like. And when I accepted Christ, everything changed. My whole life shattered. And ever since that day, the Lord has taken those shattered pieces. And He has reformed me. He has remolded me. He has put back together the broken pieces and built a whole new vessel. And it's what he wants to do in your life. And some of you are going, amen, he's done that in my life. Anybody say amen to that? But you've got to come. You've got, there's two, look, I only see two choices here. Either you're going to be on the top or you're going to be on the bottom. Either you fall on Christ or he falls on you in judgment. 
And that's what he says there. The ones that are, the stone falls on gets ground to powder. In other words, the, the picture here is of the chaff that just, it just gets blown away. The whole thing just blown away. Whatever you've lived for, when you die, what will you have to show for it? Will, will everything you've done, everything you thought was important just blow away? Like it's just empty, lifeless, meaningless? Or does it have eternal value? And I just, uh, let me read the last two verses here and, and Phil and the praise team can come on up as we close. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. You see, that's that judicial parable. They knew, guys, he's talking about us. And they had a choice. Just like you have a choice this morning. If anyone among them was wise or humble or broken, you know, you hear that thing that somebody's trying to tell you. You hear that, that word, that, that exhortation that, hey man, things have got to change. And there can come a time where you go, you know what? That pastor in that hot gymnasium with the lousy sound quality is right. He's right. And it's not me, folks. This is not, this is not I didn't write this book. This is God's word. Whether you believe it or not doesn't change it. This is the Word of God. And you can reject it. Just like Peter said, desire the pure milk of God. But in rejecting that, you reject Him. And that's not what we want. That's not why I'm spending this time going over this. Doing this, because the hope is that you won't be like the Pharisees that are... are, Wait till we get to chapter 23. Jesus, the mild, meek guy with the lamb on his shoulders, lays into these guys. He lets them have it. They perceived that he was speaking of them, but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. So they wouldn't do it just then. So, Phil, if you would uh, bring your praise team up or whoever's coming up with you. Um, are we going to stand or sit? or Let's just have, you know, it, it's not too late. Let's just, um, let's just sit where we are. And maybe this sermon has brought someone to mind for you. Maybe uh, what you heard from the Lord is, maybe it's really convicted you. Maybe you've been one that has been, you're here. Look, let me have your attention one more, one more time here. You're here, but in your heart, it doesn't really matter what God says. You're going to do what you want anyway, right? And that's the same thing as rejecting him. And look, here's the reality, folks. Um. Life with Christ is glorious. It really, really, really is. There is something beautiful. There is something beautiful about a man, a woman, a teenager. Very beautiful in a teenager. To be broken before the Lord. To just humbly bow the knee. Surrender the life. And say, I am going to acknowledge that I don't run the world. We all already knew you didn't. You'd mess it all up if you did. Because you can't keep your checkbook straight. So we acknowledge, look, I'm not in charge of this planet. I'm not the one that causes the sun to rise. Job was shattered before the Lord. Everything he thought changed. 
When God said, okay, Job, I'm going to speak to you out of the whirlwind. You tell me, Job, where were you when I told the sea to stop right here? Where were you when I ordained that the sun would come up? And where, where does the hail come from? And where do the goats have their babies? Do you have anything to do with that? And Job said, I had heard with my ears, but you know, now I understand who you are. So as we just sing a final song, um, if that's you, you know, just come see me after the service. Come up here and let me know, you know, the Lord's working in your heart and we'll, we'll pray with you. Um, because the owner is coming back, isn't he? Oh, I pray it soon. This world is a mess. This world is a mess. And nobody knows how to fix it. Except Jesus. And he can start with your world today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and we'll sing a final song. Father, I don't know what you're doing with this in people's hearts, uh, but I know you are doing it. Um, Confirming the choice of some, uh, challenging the choices of others, challenging many to surrender and lay it down for you. Lord, I just pray that you have your way in us, that you have your way in me day by day, minute by minute, Lord. And we have tasted and seen you're gracious, you're good. Father, we pray your spirit would uh, rule over this congregation, this community, and this heart. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.